terrible garden for weeds, this is, you know, sir. I am aware of that, Jay. They used to keep a boy here in the old days. Nothing to do all day but pull up weeds. Hello and welcome to Dear Gardener with me, Ben Dark. You join me sitting on a tree stump in the woods. The best sort of place to be on a day like this. It's hot out there. A bright, bright blue sky with no sign of any cloud. So the woods feel like refuge for the first time this year. Just about opening the beech leaves, which means that the apples that I'm going to go and see soon will certainly be out. They're pretty closely tied. I think it's all due down to the temperature in the month before. So it doesn't really matter how cold January is or December is. What matters is how cold the end of March and April is. That's what tells us when the beach is going to open, when the apple is going to open, and when the bird cherry opens. Those three are good indicators all at the same time. Anyway, I'm here because I had sat down at my desk to record an episode with some talk about teasing out Nepeta and, <laughs> and watering pots. And then I looked outside and it was all so beautiful and so beckoning. So I thought, well, why not take the, the mobile equipment and see what's going on in the woods and beyond. So here I am. There's going to be a bit of crunching as I stand up. We had a mast year last year. Huge production of beach kernels. And they are still flapping about on the floor. Well, not really flapping about, they're, they're spiky little things. They're, um, they make a good noise underfoot, and I'll be walking on those. And there's a lot of dry leaves now, a couple of days of dry. And what had seemed a flat centimetre thick mat has fluffed up into last year's old leaves. So they'll be crunching about in a second. What about weed killer? For the, uh, the dandelions. Oh, would you like me to get some, sir? No, no, I prefer my own. I've got the materials. I wouldn't put it down this dry weather, sir. It tends to lie around. Needs to soak in, you see? Well, not the way I use it, Jay. Not the way I use it. It's the last winter aconite. Last winter aconite just poking out there. They seem to have a slightly staggered flowering. I don't know if it's a um, particular population flowers later, or if these ones are going for a second flush. I suppose I could go and have a little look. I think it's probably their first flowering. They've just gone for a little bit, a little bit of a later thing. Probably gives them some sort of advantage to have a population that doesn't flower all at once. It's a beautiful, beautiful, very long antennaed sort of moth or a beetle disappeared into the wooden litter. Anyway, soon this place will all be bare and deserted. There's only a few little pollinators remaining. Most of them have moved away into the open fields and gardens. But a month and a half ago this really was where it was at in terms of flowering. Carpets of anemones everywhere. 
There's one of those moments, I think it was two weeks ago, I was out in a similar woodland, looking at the most beautiful galaxy of anemones from above. And it, it was a moment when you wish, I wish I knew less about plants. I wish I was seeing this for the very, very first time and could somehow convince myself that it would go on forever, that it wouldn't be over in just 10 days, fading away for another year. I suppose that's why everyone gets into mindfulness, isn't it? To make these moments not extendable, enjoyable, enjoyable as we experience them. There's a bit of crunching here as I make my way out past a brilliant understory you, for you who has never seen the Toperists trimmers. Driving an old file into the ground, drop one of the tiny packets into each aperture. Do this in the case of each dandelion, taking a separate dose to each. And here we reach the woodland edge some little bits of grass. And the first dandelions. This is definitely dandelion week. I was back in the UK a little bit last week. It's lovely living between two countries like this because you experience spring twice almost. And if there's something you really, really enjoyed in a bit of UK spring, you can hot foot it over to Denmark, where plants are pretty similar, and you can experience it again two weeks later. So that's a, that's a tip for for anyone that um, really enjoyed a bit of this spring or really likes something they're seeing now. Book yourself a train journey, car journey, not a, not a flight, because you'll ruin my podcast and come out here and see it again. I suppose you do get people who behave almost like, like the groupies who follow a band around the country and go to every single one of their shows. You could slowly walk north with the wooden enemies, seeing as they came out at wooden enemy pace. Anyway, coming around the corner now past these rotted old stumps gnarled old trees. Yes, anyway, the UK. The UK was wet and warm. We had a couple of days of absolutely torrential rain. And then those blissful evenings where you get dry under dove grey sky after a whole day of wet and everything is glistening and suddenly the world is 200% more alive. Every single hedgerow is covered in those tiny glass-like new little snails and little slugs, so sweet. Little slugs that you could make a, make a Disney cartoon out of. They look so, so charming. Lots of those eating, eating the garlic mustard. And in the UK, the main dandelion crop, the main dandelion flush had gone to seed head which was a delight for my son, who is a big dandelion puffing fan. Puffing it incredibly ostentatiously, gets down to dandelion level, squatting on his haunches, and does that big 
toddler blowing out a candle puff. That incredibly inefficient, all, all noise and, and rasp and no actual air until the seeds go away. So he really enjoyed that. But here we have our dandelions out and yellow. They're really good flowers. I know that I'm not alone in saying that the RHS this year is doing a big hero plant campaign. These things are no longer weeds, they are hero plants. And uh, we should all be appreciating them in our lawns. And we should, we really should. I know there's lots of um, professional gardeners who listen to this podcast, who tend to nowadays be in the vanguard of the embracing weeds and getting rid of all of those nasty chemicals moving. Didn't used to be so, but now they are. And it's more often than not them trying to convince their clients to go weed killer free. They can listen to this section of the podcast where I just pick up a little dandelion and pluck it and marvel at how amazing it is. I've got a little yellow one in my hand now, full of ants. I wonder what the ants are doing. I doubt they're harvesting the latex. You can make rubber from dandelions, not from our native dandelion, not from the um, Taraxicum officinale, but from one of its Kyrgyzstani relatives, I think. You're able to harvest, harvest that white sap that just came out when I plucked that there and refine it just the same way you do the, the rubber tree. It's the same, it's the same compound at latex. Plants tend to use the same compounds when a, when a, when a plant is producing anthocyanins. It is not reinventing the wheel each time. It's using the same sort of stuff. And this is the right stuff to make tires out of. You could drive your car on, on dandelion tires one day. You know, I don't know what those, don't know what those little, little creatures were doing. There's lots of life that lives inside a dandelion flower because it's such a rich bit of nutrient there. When you're um, pumping the energy up to produce those petals, but particularly when the fertilizers have come and you have this race to develop seeds and get them away quickly before all of the little field grubs and beetles and things can get in there and lay little white worms at the bottom and start devouring them all. You sometimes tear open a, a dandelion and you can see little black bits at the bottom and that's where a little a little weevil has been in there eating and fallen out and pupating. I'm just opening another one up now. This is a dandelion that has been pollinated. The flowers are quite interesting. They're all, it's, it's Asteraceae, so it's all sort of disc and ray florets. And a dandelion, the vast majority of them are ray florets, those fused petals in a tube that go out to create a great big pom-pom. Looking at it now, you can see, see the anthers rising in between, and they're maturing from the outside and then pushing them on later. Anyway, they, um, the one that's pollinated is at the stage where it's developing the great papus, the, um, the umbrella thing 
on the top that will carry them away. I was reading once the, the, the role of the pappus, the, the, the pappus is, um, it's got a couple of things that it, it obviously carries it, it obviously is the, the parachute, but it's also a sort of protection. So if you are a snuffly sort of creature who's wandering around looking for a snack, a little ball of seeds presented to you on the long dandelion stem would be very tempting indeed. But you don't really want a mouthful of furry pappas <laughs> on there. And the third one, they are incredibly good wicks. So they take up ambient moisture. And this doesn't help them particularly in flying, but what it does help is when they land on the ground, the, <laughs> the pappas can turn sideways and sort of suck moisture up to the to the seed from from the air which really helps that initial germination bit it's a marvel of a marvel of evolution really the pappus the parachute is is dead cells it is an equivalent of our hair and things but they can open and close draw themselves in and open up again and close up again depending on whether it's a nice day for flying that all depends on that little, that little pad at the bottom, that little apical thing. Hello, Martin. Hello, Martin. Armstrong here. Look, I'm sorry about all this kerfuffle about the Vellanoeth estate. Why, um, why, why don't you pop over to Mayfield for tea? We can chat about the whole thing informally. And I'll show you around the garden. I'm I'm rather proud of it, actually. Well, when, when my son was doing all the blowing, we got all sorts of people saying, oh, he's not going to be very popular, the dandelion seeds flying off in the area. But they would have all come off anyway. And he probably actually, he probably actually did them a favour because the way he had to huff at them probably means they weren't, they weren't mature seeds he was sending out anyway. So he's probably done some little sterilization efforts for the uh, for those of the world who hate dandelions in their lawn if you do hate dandelions if you do hate dandelions in your lawn i advice would be not to cut it so short because <laughs> dandelion seedlings well they their their germination rate is tiny and generally what happens is a lot of them get eaten by seed eating beetles there's a whole whole host of genera of seed-eating species, but there's a particular, there's a particular one, I can't remember what it is, it's Amos, something like that, Amethyst, um, the sun beetles, Amora, I think Amora might be the sun beetles, and some of them specialise in just eating dandelion seeds, so a couple of matchbox full of those, and then just don't cut your lawn so short, because they're taproot species. The dandelion wants to develop a really big root system, and that's what it really focuses on first. So they're very vulnerable to getting outgrown by surrounding grasses, even by surrounding clovers in that very, very early stage. So leave it a little bit longer, and you have far fewer. As I was 
saying, my dear Martin, all would be fine if it wasn't for these, these, these deucid weeds. Yes, Major. <laughs> Major, about I the deposits. I am a martyr to weeds. Now, my gardener was saying it's because we are surrounded by fields here. My clients are adamant. Ah, I see the Major's left the tea thing. Sit you down, sit you down. One lump or two? Uh, two, please. I, I'm afraid I am a little one, pressed for time. I really two, must... and you must have one of these buttered scones. Oh. Excuse my fingers. Thank you. We're in an orchard. Right now, you probably heard the gate creak open. Just walking up to one of the apples here. It's perfect, perfect apple blossom time. You don't want to catch an apple blossom tree too late because you lose the pink. The pink in an apple is concentrated on the backside of the petal and strongest when they are tightly, tightly furled. And you get a suggestion of pink in the veining and a blush on the back later on, but you see far less of it. So you want to find a tree like the one I'm looking at now that has half buds open and half buds closed. They're funny little things, these apple trees. This one, the king bud is just over. So I don't know if you've ever looked at your apple tree. Go and, go and look at them, you'll find that generally they are all clusters of five or sometimes six flowers sometimes seven as well, on each tip-bearing or spur-bearing bit. And there'll be one bud, the king bud, that opens before the others. And that's the bud that apparently produces the best fruit. It opens first, it'll be open on its own for a few days, and then these lateral buds start doing their business. So if you're there for a day where you have the king buds open and maybe one lateral bud and three lateral buds still to come, one in pink tight furl, one in just opening, and, and the other in almost sort of, sort of ready to, if you squeezed it, it would, it, would be, it would be open stage. That's the best time, I think, to look at apple trees. They are my favorite blossom tree, I think. I don't like them too heavy with blossom. You know when you see a really heavily blossomed ornamental crabapple species and you can't see through it, I think that loses a little bit of the magic and romance. You want to have a little bit of a, a little bit of, of gap and green behind. The green also helps because they do flower with the new leaves. I think they work really well together, that, that pink and white and green, and that special, that special grey green that special velvet green that covers there the calyx and the and the flower stalk. It, it's something that you probably don't even notice when you see an apple tree, but I think it does. I think that tone, that, that grey green, is such a good offsetter as anyone who has painted their, their door in that colour recently will no doubt know. It almost tends towards them. Um, powdery mildew colour. I suppose that's, that's beautiful in a way as well. Anyway, yes, yes, those things that block, well, Prince Kanzan, which I was talking about last week, is a key example of that. They completely block the sky. Are lovely, but they haven't got the joy of the blue or the grey or whatever else is going on in the environment behind them. I've been reading a lot of Proust recently, as I like to do. And um, 
Later, I'm a great, I'm a great priest advocate, and don't worry about being regarded as pretentious because you'll end up enjoying it. And you can't be pretentious if you actually do enjoy it. I'm reading uh, Sodom and Gomorrah, or the Cities of the Plain, which is his fourth book in that um, Remembrances of Things Past series. And there's a wonderful bit just after the the period of horrible self-indulgent mourning for his grandmother when he, he realizes how, how horrible he was so all the time. And he's snapped out of it, the narrator, by the apple trees in blossom and the sight of the blue sky between them. There's a great passage and he's talking about seeing them with this blue behind it as if they had been painted by the best sort of amateur painter. And then suddenly the sky turns and it greys and turns to slashing rain. And it's after these two solid pages of proper Proustian text where you don't get a paragraph break, you suddenly get a little semicolon. It was a day in spring. I think about that a lot this spring. It was a day in spring when I'm missing my wooden enemies and mourning that they're gone for another year. It was a day in the spring. Anyway, those are, those are the apples. Those are my thoughts on them. They're good plants for Denmark. They do well here. The apples, apples need, need cold. It's essential to their, their flowering and, and producing. They start, all the, the flower buds, flowers and plants and trees, they start working well in advance of what we think. All of these buds that I'm looking at now and getting great, such great pleasure from probably started developing around harvest time last year. But they kind of develop as just do anything, like here's a bud, we'll decide what to do with it later. And then it's the temperatures which trigger the chemical symbols and the hormonal symbols that let's put this one into a branch, let's put this one into a flower. And not having cold winters messes that all up. And also messes up a the late winter, early spring messes up the actual formation of the individual flowers. Just letting these bunch of holiday makers go off to wherever they're going. Messes up the formation of the flowers. So the late January, February, March time is when all of those cells are differentiating themselves inside the buds. I'm looking at now when they say, I'll be an ovary and you be a pista, you be an anther and you be a bit of pollen. And it's pollen is always the last one to come. So if you don't get any cold in late spring, you get plants without pistols and without pollen, which are, are useless for, for producing any apples. So um, next time, if you find yourself cursing, as I frequently did in this very, very, very long, lingering winter, you find yourself cursing that. Think of the apples. Think of the cider. Think of the, the blossom that you will see in the spring. It's all going to be worth it. My father-in-law's a chemist and he had some of them analysed. If you look here, you'll see a small hole has been punched in the bottom mm -hmm. of some of them and then covered over. Yes, I see. And these ones contained arsenic. Yes. Well, it's a ticklish business, gentlemen. And I'll see what I can do. I'll need the urine sample and these chocolates for analysis by our people. 
In the meantime, Mr. Martin, don't accept any more tea invitations from the Major. Well, but that's just the trouble. He keeps on inviting Mr. me. Mr. Martin, whatever you do, don't go. It's very nice. Huh? There's lots of understory things. You really can see the difference that leaving grass makes. The mowing here is obviously done by machine. You can see that because they have quite large turning circle around the tree where they, where they can't get can't get close enough. If you had a pedestrian mower you'd be able to get closer. And they have they haven't left it long deliberately, but they're not able to reach under each tree. And the diversity of species under the trees is fantastic. I guess partially it's because these are small apples on dwarfing stock. Well pruned for fruit, which means well pruned to get light through which means they're never casting a dense shade, but they are able to provide a little bit of shelter and protection. They're not baking like, like you get in a, in a large flat lawn. And under this one, we've got little, little speed wells, looking absolutely gorgeous there. Lovely, lovely little plant, just two, two anthers. And then you've got great collection of daisies. You've got <laughs> the fading remnants of something ornamental, something from a, from a lily family. And you've got Celandine over here. We've got a dock over here. We've got Canthamum growing underneath this one, which is very exciting to see. This Cardamon protensis, which is the, the cuckoo flower. Now this seems right seeing this on a sunny day. It always seems to me to be a plant that you should be seeing in the wet. Apparently it strikes very, very, very easily from leaf cuttings. Watching a video, I can't remember who's put it on, on the internet of how to strike that from leaf cuttings. It's quite good. It's pink is a bit pinker than the, so it's not pinker, it's a bit more mauve than the apple blossom above. Got a bit more of that, that brassicary feel to it. It's got a classic brassic, brassica shape to the flower, very cruciform. Anyway, in terms of my gardening, this has been a fairly shy old week with a, with a trip back to the UK and a lot of looking after the young boy. I haven't done so much. I did do some planting with him at his nursery on grand, Grandparents' Day. I pretended to be the youngest grandparent there because he doesn't have grandparents in this country. Grandparents' Day is a big thing when you go in and plant plants. So we put in some of my seedlings, which I'd grown myself, which was pleasant, and some of that supermarket salvia. And um, hopefully they'll be the best plants there, beat all the other grandparents, and I can be the youngest and the best gardener out of all the grandparents. That would be very satisfying. Now this is a proper tree. I think that here they're, um, they're growing a huge variety of apples and they're almost doing it as a, as a demonstration of different heritage varieties. But they're all grafts, all grafted onto extremely dwarfing rootstock. So they never get particularly big and all grafted at the same height at sort of well, above hip height, between between sort of hip and nipple height, 
they branch out. And so you don't get the wonderful forms that apples grown on their own rootstock do, nor the wonderful size. And here we see an ancient, for apple trees, which aren't particularly long-lived species, an ancient apple that is obviously on its own rootstock. So branches low, branches at knee height, and splits off into three directions, twisting each one like a, like a leg, like, a, like the symbol for the Isle of Man. And it's glorious to see, and it's big, and it looks noble as a tree. I was reading that even extremely vigorous rootstock will never grow a bigger plant than a plant on its own rootstock, as it were. This one I think is definitely, I can't see any, any sign of historic grafting, so it's on its own rootstock. I mean, there's a leg here. I can't see any nest up there. Maybe someone robbed that from a nest deeper in the forest and put it there. There's a great deal of bees. Looking up into the canopy of this tree, I can see some bumblebees and some honeybees flapping around in there. Apple trees have a good, a good combination. They're classic. This is such a classic flower. Classic. I'll do a bit of looking pretty with pink and white, and I'll do a bit of smelling nice with, with a few benzene compounds and linalool. I'm smelling it now. Actually, even because I can't smell. Maybe that's maybe I've been by damaged by the 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 various illnesses that have swept through the global population, but you can, here we go, this one's just got king bud, just open, this one king bud, yes, there we go, and that's that sort of cleany, freshy, benzoid alcohol kind of fragrance, so the bees are going for that, and they're going for the looks, and it's just a, just a good bit of classic rosaceae flowering, I love to see it, anyway. Probably time to head back to my bicycle now. I've got to get back to the nursery and pick up pick up the boy. I might take a bottle of water with me and water my plants. I bet none of the other grandparents would do that. I bet they'll all forget. Then I'm guaranteed to win. I'm just gonna pass this little hoppy blackbird out onto the gravel path and down through an avenue of malice. Proper ornamental crab apple here. It's doing exactly what I said it shouldn't, creating a dense wall of blossom. Martin? Yes? Come across and have a cup of tea. I've got some cakes and things in. Kettle's boiling. What about it? <laughs> I don't know if you heard that, there's a bee landed, landed in my hair. My hair's looking quite wild at the moment. Maybe it thought that it was a, a good place to find a, a hole to nest in. Maybe, maybe some of the curls look like, look like old wounds on a tree trunk. Anyway, it had a little buzz around in my hair and it's gone now. I'm not going to go, I'm not going to go down there. I don't have time to go and look at the vines. We'll have to do it another time. Anyway, thank you very much for joining me on this little walk through the woods and out into the orchard. Before I go, I must say a very quick thank you to Martha, who supported the podcast on Ko-Fi after last week's episode. It really does help me to do this and to not have to put 
that about through the middle of it, all that sort of stuff. So thank you very much to you, and thank you to everyone else for listening to this. I'll see you again very soon. Thank you, and bye-bye. Times are getting tough, and the folks are cutting down. They even decide to do their own gardening. Their own gardening. Take my advice and knock off for a while. The happiness boys are on a rampage. Fred has helped me to start a small Pelagonian nursery, yes.